0: Good morning West Bulls. Thank you for tuning in this morning or whenever you're tuning in from wherever you're tuning in from. I'm standing in the place that I'm used to being on Sunday mornings and uh, excited for the time that we all get to be back in the place that we're used to being in as well. Well a couple days ago something happened to me that signaled that something is happening in me and as I thought about what's happening in me I realized it's very likely something that's happening inside you and inside all of us as well as we navigate this time in quarantine. In large part, we've stayed indoors throughout this quarantine ordeal, and uh, we've just been getting low on groceries. And so I needed to go to the grocery store the other morning. So about mid-morning, I hopped in the car. And as I got out of our neighborhood and I turned on to one of the main streets, I had the opportunity to do something that I have always wanted to do, But uh, you just don't dare do it for fear of being pulled over. I decided to play Pac-Man. Pac-Man is when you've got the dotted lines in the middle of the road that are supposed to separate lanes, and you end up centering right over those, and that's your lane. I felt like Pac-Man. It was fun. I was enjoying myself. There was no traffic around. At least I thought. Out of nowhere, I saw somebody flying up in my rearview mirror. So I got over into the right lane. And you got to keep in mind, I outside my family, I have not seen people in a while. And so I was just excited to, to see somebody. And so I already had a smile on my face as they were coming by. I was ready to wave. And as I made eye contact with them, I realized, oh, they're not as happy as I am. And as their hand came out the window, I realized, oh, they're not waving that's that's not how we wave uh, in fact there would be other times i'd be incredibly frustrated with the other driver but as they passed i realized the issue was not with them the issue was actually and is actually within me because there's something happening inside me throughout this process as we're quarantined and behind closed doors. There's something happening inside all of us that actually poses a danger to us. See, I have begun to adapt. I've begun to adapt so much that I think I'm starting to forget how to drive. And driving has suddenly lost this urgency of focus that it really ought to have. See, that's what happens when you acclimate. There's a two-layer danger that comes up when we begin to acclimate. First, we get distracted. We get distracted from the important things. In the process of looking at the headlines, yes, they're important, but we can stare at them so much, like we talked about last week, we can stare at them so much that we can lose sight of a much bigger picture. Not only do we get distracted, but our viewpoint also gets distorted. See, I can begin to minimize what really ought to be magnified, and I can begin to magnify what really ought to be minimized. The greatest danger right now for you and for me and for all of us, yes, there's a health danger that comes with this virus, and yes, we, there are orders that have been handed down that we ought to follow, but perhaps the greatest danger is that you, me, and all of us, we could begin to acclimate to some dynamics and some forces that we were never intended to get acclimated to and get comfortable with. One of the great ironies of of that resurrection day that we just celebrated last week is that the morning, in the morning, Jesus rose from the dead. By that night, his followers, they were not out trumpeting the news. They were not running around telling everyone they could. You know where they were? They were cowering behind closed doors. And the dangers and the dynamics that they faced as they sat behind closed doors with one another, they're the same dangers and dynamics that you and I face as we sit behind closed doors. And they're dynamics that they and we are in danger of acclimating to, when God never intended for us to get acclimated. There are a few dynamics that they faced and we face. The first being this— that we're in danger of acclimating and getting used to and listening to the stories that fear whispers to us. Take a look at what John chapter 20 says about this moment behind closed doors with the disciples. John chapter 20 says, on the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders. Now, if I could just pause right there, isn't that what fear does to us? Isn't this what fear does? It causes us to visualize what they out there could do to us. And so out of fear, we lock the door and we keep it shut tight. And for them, rightly so. All right, we understand why. Because they had just watched these Jewish leaders put Jesus to death. And surely they were thinking if they could do that to him, then we're next, aren't we? And this is what fear will do. Fear will speak to us and speak to us and speak to us and then it begins to speak through us and they're beginning to talk to each other and they're beginning to tell each other the news headlines that they'd been reading and we begin to do the same which is exactly why they needed and you and I needed what Jesus did next. Jesus came and stood among them and said peace be with you. Isn't that interesting? In the middle of a fear-drenched environment, Jesus stands in the midst of his disciples and he stands in the midst of you and me and all of us and his message is peace. Peace be with you. The gospel writer Luke also wrote about this account and here's what he has to say about that moment. Luke 24 verse 37, They were startled and frightened, which is a total understatement. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. Now lay aside for a moment that the one that they'd seen crucified just a few days before is now standing in front of them, talking to them. It's scary movie material at its finest. It absolutely is. But if you were to lay that aside for a second, you you can begin to see the dynamics of fear at work here. Because fear, what it will do is it will also go with us from situation to situation and person to person. In a few moments ago, they were staring at and visualizing the Jewish leaders and all that they could do to them. And now, rightfully so, they're looking at Jesus himself, whose message is peace. And yet they're nothing but scared and full of fear. Well, Luke continues in verse 38. He said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts rise in your minds? Because this is what happens when fear runs rampant. And his response was this. Look at my hands and my feet. It is I, myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. And there's something so subtle here that you and I cannot afford to miss. See, you and I make the assumption that for faith to be present, for us to perfectly trust, then fear has to be absent. And so as they sat there and as they visualized what these Jewish leaders could do to them and they played that story out in their minds, the idea of faith really didn't enter until Jesus himself stood before them with a completely different story, a completely different message. And that message was peace. And then he presents evidence because nothing can change our story the way evidence can And so he showed his hands with the holes in them, and he showed his feet with the holes in them, and as we discussed last week, his message was not just peace, but that the holes did not have the final say. That their story of what the Jewish leaders had done to him and could do to them, it doesn't have the final say. That the message that fear tries to get us to buy into, it doesn't have the final say. It just doesn't. In fact, it's often with fear still in the room that faith has its beginning. And as we continue to pay attention to the message of faith more and more, fear will make its exit. But what happened to them is the same thing that can happen to you and I. In fact, the media in 1973, they coined a phrase for it. It was called Stockholm Syndrome. And Stockholm Syndrome references an event that took place in Stockholm, Sweden in 1973, a group of people were taken hostage during a bank robbery. And what happened was over the course of the six days that they were being held hostage, something began to happen inside of them. They began to acclimate. And they began to get a little more comfortable, not entirely comfortable, but just a little bit more comfortable with their situation. And they actually began to justify the actions of their captors. When this whole ordeal was done, and the captors were... Were captured and they were taken to trial, none of the group of people that had been held hostage agreed to testify against them. And it's the same thing you and I do. When it comes to fear, when it takes us hostage, it's very easy for us to begin to acclimate to fear and its ways in hopes that fear won't do any further damage. And Jesus, he stands before us And he says, no, 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 I want to tell you a different story. Peace. I offer you peace. Look at the holes in my hands, look at my feet, and know it does not have the final say. And in that moment, fear exited the room and another dynamic entered. One that you and I and the disciples themselves can begin to acclimate to behind closed doors if we're not vigilant. Take a look at how Luke continues. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still did not believe it, because of joy and amazement... So, so just capture this. They've moved from fear and doubt to now joy and amazement. But the phrase that's tied to that is that they still did not believe. It, and that's the second thing that they were beginning to acclimate to or could and that you and i could begin to acclimate to behind closed doors is not only we would listen to the story that fear feeds us but that we would begin to run on the fumes of what feels good it happens all the time this is this is that euphoria that comes with what we call mountaintop experiences this is if you've ever gone to camp You get how they set up camp. The very last night, there's a bonfire. It's emotional. Everybody's going home. You're going to be best friends forever. Your life has changed forever. And we can go home from camp on an emotional high. We can can go to the mountaintop, and we can have this incredible panoramic view and be so inspired and come back down and say, everything's going to be different now. It's even what happens when you drink a cup of coffee in the morning. You know, you run on that buzz and you begin to think that that can sustain you. And you begin to overlook something so crucial. Something so crucial that Jesus actually asked a question about it. Next. Verse 41. He asked them, Do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish And he took it and ate it in their presence. It's a well-placed question. Part of that because Jesus is showing them that it really is him. That he's really here in the midst of them in flesh and bone. But it's also a great question to bring them and bring us back to what's most important. Have you eaten? I mean, how how many mornings, how many days do we run through... And and we spend the first half of the day running on a caffeine buzz. And this is a reminder. You're going to need something more substantial if you're going to go outside these doors. If you're going to step into what I have for you to do outside these doors. And the food is actually tied to what Jesus has to say next. He said to them, This is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And you and I are witnesses of these things now. That as you look at every situation life provides and sends your way, that you'd be reminded, and that I'd be reminded, Jesus says, that you can find resurrection hope. That there's resurrection life in the midst of the circumstances, no matter how they look. And you're going to have to look to the word for that reminder, was his point. Remember that you're a witness to that. Don't run on the fumes of what feels good. It reminds me of a road trip that we took years ago with a group of friends. We were in the middle of Nevada, and there were miles and miles and miles between towns. And so you had to make sure that you were fueled up before you left town. And each car that was with us, we were low on gas. So we pulled into a town, pulled into a gas station. And as I pulled up to the, to the fuel pump, there was a friend of mine telling a story. And I got so caught up in the story that I turned around and began listening to him while everybody else was filling up their car. Well, we pulled out of the gas station. And no more than three miles down the road, our van began to sputter. And I realized that we were now broke down on the side of the road because I hadn't taken the time to fuel up. I'd been caught up by the fumes of what felt good and was so emotionally satisfying. And Jesus, standing before his disciples, standing before you and I, he says, one, don't listen to the story that fear is whispering to you. But number two, don't get caught up in joy and amazement that's tied to disbelief and unbelief. Don't get caught up in the fumes of what may feel good. You need actual spiritual nourishment in the form of God's word. And then as you look at the close of the conversation, you can see a third dynamic that they and you and I we can get so acclimated to that it can present a danger to us. And it's simply that we can settle for our own self-sufficiency. And we can begin to depend on ourselves. Look at what John had to say about what Jesus had to say in that moment. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive. Receive the Holy Spirit. In other words, I, you're going to need something. That when you leave these closed doors, and you move from in here to out there, you're going to need something that comes from far beyond you. You're going to need the Holy Spirit. And that's, that's something we so easily overlook. Because in the process of being behind closed doors, there's, like, there's this third dynamic that we acclimate to. And it's our own self-sufficiency in our own dependence, in our own strength, in this thing in us that says, I got it, I'm fine, I know what I need. And Jesus, when you look at what he says next, he says, no, no, no. When you see what I have for you to do, when you get out from behind these closed doors, you're going to need something from far beyond you. Here's what John tells us, he told them. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. There's a reminder here that what we so often in our own strength, with our own perspective, from behind our own closed doors, what we think is the main thing and the mission, it doesn't always align with God's heart for humanity. God says, I give you my Holy Spirit because I need you to have my perspective but I also need you to have my strength and my heart for the world outside these closed doors. In the core need of humanity, regardless of what you think it is, is forgiveness. Because when people come to know God's forgiveness, well, that's when they're reconciled to their Heavenly Father. And that's the heart of our Heavenly Father, is that all would be reconciled to Him. And so, as they sat behind closed doors, and as you and I sit behind closed doors, isn't it true that we can begin to distort our viewpoint of what the people out there need? I mean, I was even just thinking this week, as the snow came down, and then it melted, and the grass began to green up, and it began to get taller, and it began to get thicker, suddenly the mission in my mind, well, it just gets distorted. distorted. I mean, sure, there's maybe a sermon to write, and there are people out there to think about, but it was very easy for me even this week to go, oh man, the main mission is to get to the gas station and fill up the gas can, because we got to mow our yard so that our grass looks good. And there's, there's all a sense of me, me, hours, hours to it. And God says, no, 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 I need you to have my eyes, my heart for humanity at the core of it and as you look toward what Luke has to say about the end of this conversation there's really the heart of God that comes out in the middle of all of it Luke in verse 49 of chapter 24 it says I am going to send you what my father has promised meaning the spirit but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high the heart of jesus and the heart of the heavenly father in the midst of all this behind closed doors is before you go out there and win them before you win them let me win you let me win you beyond your fears and the story fears telling you let me win you beyond the fumes of the joy and amazement that feel so good but still permit you to not believe let me win you beyond your own perspective your own dependence, your own strength. Before you win them, let me win you. It's the message of our Savior to each and every single one of us. Because our tendency, our tendency, our very human tendency, is to acclimate. It's like in Pagosa Springs. You can actually pay to go sit in some hot springs in Pagosa Springs, Colorado, and the thing about these series of hot springs is they, they progressively get hotter. So you start in one hot spring, and it's, uh, it's a certain temperature. I believe it's like upper 80s. And then you move into 90s and then high 90s. And by the time you get to the end, they've got one hot spring that's referred to as the lobster pot. It's over 110 degrees. And if you were stepping in for the first time, you'd, you'd never stay in there. But if you've been acclimating and you've been acclimating and you've been acclimating, it becomes very easy to stay a little too long in that hot water. And it becomes a little bit too easy to let the acclimation to something far too hot for us to run rampant in our lives. And so, Jesus says, it's not your way, it's my way. Before you go out there and try to win them your way, Let me win you to my way of doing things. I'm reminded of of a story told by an author named Eugene Peterson, who really was quoting this theologian, Karl Barth. And Karl Barth told this parable about what it's like behind closed doors. What can happen to us? He says this, Imagine a group of men and women in a huge warehouse. They were born in this warehouse, grew up in it. And have everything there for their needs and comfort. There are no exits to the building, but there are windows. But the windows are thick with dust, are never cleaned, and so no one bothers to look out. Why would they? The warehouse has everything they know, has everything they need. But then one day, one of the children drags a step stool under one of the windows, scrapes off the grime, and looks out. He sees people walking on the streets. He calls to his friends to come and look. They crowd around the window. They never knew a world existed outside their warehouse. And then they notice a person out in the street looking up and pointing. Soon several people are gathered. Looking up, they're talking excitedly. The children look up, but there's nothing to see but the roof of their warehouse. They finally get tired of watching these people out on the street acting crazily, pointing up at nothing and getting excited about it. What's the point of stopping for no reason at all, pointing at nothing at all and talking up a storm? about the nothing. But what those people in the street were looking at was an airplane or a geese in flight or a gigantic pile of cumulus clouds. The people in the street look up and see the heavens and everything in the heavens. The warehouse people have no heavens above them, just a roof. What would happen though if one day one of those kids cut a door out of the warehouse, coaxed his friends out, and discovered the immense sky above them and the grand horizons beyond them? That is what happens, writes Barth, when we open the Bible. We enter the totally unfamiliar world of God, a world of creation and salvation, stretching endlessly above and beyond us. Life in the warehouse never prepared us for anything like this. Typically, adults in the warehouse scoff at the tales the children bring back. After all, they are completely in control of the warehouse world in ways they could never be outside of it, and they want to keep it that way. See, the life that Barth and Peterson point to outside the warehouse, outside the closed doors, it's a far different, far better kind of life than the one that we can so easily acclimate to behind closed doors. The one filled with fear and running on emotional highs and even dependence on our own perspective and our own strength. It's really the kind of life that Luke points to in the handful of verses immediately following this account. Luke chapter 24 says this, When he had led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. Then they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they stayed continually at the temple, praising God. Did you catch that? It's a life of joy, and it's a life of praise that's rooted in believing him. When he says peace, we take him at his word. No longer does fear get to tell its stories. No longer do we run on the fumes of what feels good. No longer do we depend on our own perspective, our own strength our own awareness of how things are outside those closed doors. And so, with all that in mind, today, today I'd, love, I'd love for you to consider something that we're all going to do as a body together tomorrow. We'd like to invite you to engage in a church-wide practice of fasting tomorrow. For 12 hours, from 7 a.m. to 7 p.m., we'd invite you to fast from something. That is, to take a break from something. Traditionally, fasting is associated with food, and so you would go 12 hours, you could drink water, some people even drink juice during that time, but not eating anything. But food is just one form of it. It could also be fasting from a screen. It could be fasting from work, if your schedule allows. But the point of it is that whenever that craving comes up for food, or a screen, or to engage in our work, we would instead direct that to the one who stands in our midst, behind closed doors, who says peace to you. The one who says, before you go out there and you win them with the love and the forgiveness of God, let me win you with that very same thing. And so with that in mind, I hope you'll join us tomorrow. We look forward to hearing what God shows and what he speaks to all of us as we do this together. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, We thank you, and if all we ever said was thank you, we could just pray that for the rest of our lives. But we thank you that you are a God with a heart for us, that you send our Savior to stand in our midst. Behind closed doors, when we begin to acclimate, you remind us that fear doesn't have the final say, that we can run on and we're offered something much more substantial than the fumes of emotional highs, but that you also call us beyond our own perspective and our own dependence. Heavenly Father, as we engage this fast tomorrow, would you, would you remind us that you stand amongst us? Would you speak to us in a deep way? Would you nourish us? Because we know that you have a heart for those that whenever we come out from behind closed doors, at the end of this quarantine, we know that your mission is the same as it has always been. And so let us take your heart to reconcile people to you. Let us take that into the world with joy and with praise. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. West Bulls, we look forward to hearing from you and we'll see you next week.